Good morning, church. How are you? Good. My name is Stephen, one of the pastors at that city church. want to welcome you. Um, yeah, I hope uh, you had a really good Thanksgiving. Um, you know, families are here. Some of the families are still here. <laughs> so, um, but now Thanksgiving means, you know, we had amazing snow, a little flurry, kind of sets you in the mood for Christmas. Yes. Which means in the church, it means we began the Advent season, and Advent means coming of the Savior. And of course, you know, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but every season in our church, we get to think about his coming and also to remember that he's going to come again. So this is a very exciting season for the church so that we can think about uh, Jesus, not only as a little baby, cute little baby, but he is the Son of God who's going to come back for us. All right, so uh, we're going to do a um, uh, series about Advent, all right? And also, we have been doing the Encounters of Jesus series, and it's, it's sort of like coming together because uh, today I want to talk about Mary. The topic of this, the uh, title of this message is called Mary, the Mother of God. That is a loaded statement. I mean, <laughs> forget about Mary, but how do you become a mother of God, you know? And I want to look at that today, but... In terms of encountering Jesus, I mean, Mary encountered Jesus in a very special way, and not the way all the other people that we've seen in Scripture encountered Jesus, but she bore uh, the Son of God. It's just tremendous thought. So in a sense, this is the, it's just kind of like uh, uh, transitioning right into the Advent series uh, next Sunday and so forth. We're going to be uh, thinking about uh, Advent, about what it means for Jesus to come. But I'm going to kind of put this together. Mary does meet Jesus before he even arrives because Gabriel, the angel, comes and uh, says to her that you are going to bear the Son of God. It's an amazing thought. I mean, how do you become a parent (laughs) to God? I mean, you think about some amazing people that have lived before us, and to be a proud parent to that kind of individual, you would have never guessed. Um, And yet, we think about Mary, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's something that we need to, we can't comprehend thoroughly, but it's here. So let's wrestle with this text and see what we see. And in fact, in today's passage, Dr. Luke, the, uh, Luke who wrote the gospel here for us, he reveals what it took to be the mother of Jesus. And that's why in the end, after all the revelation has been given, uh, scripture calls her the favored one, the blessed one. So, so what did it take for Mary to become the mother of God? And not only that, but, but why her? What, is there some special quality about her? And, and we don't want to hyper-spiritualize this situation, but one thing that I want to show you is this, is this theme that's going to come up over and over again. And this is what I want to um, leave you begin and leave you with, is the fact that for Mary, again, she's a human being just like all of us. But what we see in this encounter is that she had the courage to believe the gospel, even before the gospel was explicit. Through the message of Gabriel, she had the courage to believe what was spoken over her. All right? And think about this the way she received that message was not this mindless faith. You know, uh, 
in some traditions and, and, you know, people who really don't understand Christianity, just like even the disciples, God calls you, come follow me. And the idea is that you drop everything and just like a robot, you just follow God. <laughs> it's like Mary, you know, she's sitting there, angel Gabriel says, you're going to bear a child. Okay. <laughs> you know, it just seems that way, doesn't it? But actually, it's not a mindless act of faith. And what I want to show you, and I'm going to slow this passage down because it takes courage. And so therefore, I want to encourage you, if you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to know what Christianity is, you know what it takes? Yeah, it takes courage. I want to show you this, okay? Because it took, for her, it took honest thought, honest investigation uh, to accept this incredible message that came from heaven. So, I want to show you the courage of Mary in four ways. Mary showed courage in the way she reasoned about what she was hearing, in, even in the way she doubted. And I want to show you that it was courageous for her to surrender so that she could receive the message. And finally, it was courageous for her to gather in a community to learn more about what just happened to her, all right? So she reasoned, she also doubted, Finally, she surrendered, and she found a community, which, in essence, is the way of the gospel. So let me show you this, all right? First, Mary showed courage in the way she reasoned. So we're going to go back uh, to verses 28 to 29, and it's just an encounter. Mary is her doing her thing. She, she's a teenager. Some scholars say she's a prepubescent, maybe uh, 12 to 14 age range somewhere around there, and, uh, and in that state, the angel Gabriel comes visit her. That's verses 28, 29, and they have this conversation, all right? Um, I want to show you that it took courage to reason out what was happening, and, and this, the reason why I say this is because of this. In the first century, in Mary's world, in the Jewish context, uh, rash, being rational, being thoughtful, uh, does not dismiss the supernatural. You have to understand this because in our 21st century in the West, being influenced by enlightenment, but thankfully it's being reconsidered today, you know, <laughs> people are actually going back to the reality of the supernatural world. <laughs> and so, so unlike the West right now, in the context of Mary, that's, this is exactly what's going on. Using your mind doesn't mean you have to switch off your brain when it comes to spirituality. In fact, supernatural uh, uh, thing is just part of the worldview. And uh, even especially in Judaism and the Old Testament, you see angels all abound. You even see angels of death. You see miraculous happen, miracles happen one after another. That is the uh, worldview of Old Testament Judaism. And so using the mind doesn't mean there is a separation between material and immaterial universe. Reasoning, reasoning with your mind is to see an angel and not being freaked out by it. But what Mary did was she wondered and she was troubled, actually. Why was she troubled? Number one, she's not troubled because she saw an angel. That's part of life, especially in Judaism. But what was it about this encounter that, uh, uh, what is that, verse 28, uh, anyway, Gabriel says, the Lord is with you, all right? Don't freak out, she says, but she was greatly troubled at, and, at the saying, and she tried to discern, she tried to think, she tried to ponder, 
try to wonder what sort of this greeting might be. So what was it about this encounter uh, that made her think, that made her reason? Well, um, when the Bible mentions Gabriel, I mean, Gabriel, you know, we don't have time to go through all this angel- angelology kind of thing where how God created uh, the angelic beings, but Gabriel is a pretty top angel there among the creation, among angelic creation. And what the Bible tells about Gabriel is that there's, there's a couple of times that he's revealed, all right? And maybe this is what Mary had in mind, because we know that Gabriel appeared about 500 years ago before this uh, time to Daniel, who was a prophet who was in Babylon. And do you remember what happened when the angel Gabriel specifically came to Daniel? It wasn't a good meaning. And in fact, when he saw, uh, when Daniel saw uh, Daniel, no, when Gabriel saw Daniel, uh, what you'll find is that Daniel was left not only speechless, but he felt sick for a season, for a time, that he was not the same, and, and uh, he was out of it, you know? And not only that, uh, we also, she, actually Mary knows that her relative uh, Zechariah, who was the high priest at that temple at that time, also saw an angel of the Lord, which scholars say that was also presumably Gabriel. And you know what happened to Zechariah? This is just months before. It made him speechless. And many wonder, what was wrong with him? <laughs> and you put, kind of put this together, and all of a sudden Gabriel is in front of um, Mary, and that's why she's greatly troubled. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at his words. He didn't say anything at this point. He just said, hello. <laughs> and she's like freaking out. What, what are you doing? I know what, you ha- what happened to my relative. What are you going to do to me? So in the literal sense, uh, she's pondering. She's wondering what is this meeting is going to be all about. You know, whatever Gabriel's, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen angels. I haven't, but I'm sure it's a glorious vision. I'm, I'm sure it's like, just like consumes the darkness and brings light, right? Maybe it's like that. I don't know. But Mary was not troubled by that. She was able to pass that kind of greeting. What was, what, what was got her attention was uh, the greeting was thinking about what, what is this conversation all about? You know, rational thinking about faith is that um, you consider, you take notice, and this is important, just like what Mary is trying to show. You take notice when God comes to you. Some of you have, actually have gifts of dreams and visions. Maybe, maybe you just see things. I don't know. Or, or even for most of us, just circumstantial things that you say, oh, that was weird. Maybe it is God, right? When these things kind of happen, when you have dreams and you just kind of can't shake it off, what do you do with that? Most of us just kind of, you know, uh, put it to the side, back of the memory, and we forget about it. But, but, but what Mary does here, and this is what I'm trying to drive in here, is that she pondered upon it. She wondered, wondered what, was, what this encounter was about. She was seriously considered what is happening. She's considering what God might be saying to her at that moment. And truly, this is a very remarkable picture. Nothing has happened yet, but just that encounter and just the fact that Mary is using her mind 
her rationality to understand what is happening, this is remarkable. Because remember, Mary was young, maybe 12, 13, or 14 years old, inexperienced with life and with spirituality. But what you find is that she's not this shallow teenager who only thinks about her friends. But, but when these things were happening, and when God is kind of like trying to speak to her, she was reflective. She was meditative. She pondered and she reasoned to resolve in her mind what Gabriel's message and whatever was going to come out of his mouth, what is going to be meant for her and what he would require of her. She was deliberating this. I mean, you know, it's just a little sentence, but you have to put yourself in her situation, and this is kind of important. So that's why I'm saying, first point, that it takes courage. Listen very carefully. It takes, it took Mary a lot of courage. It takes you and I a lot of courage to reason out your experiences when God breaks into our world. Does this happen to you? It happens all the time. But here's, let me, before I dive into that, but let me show you the opposite of, of not thinking about when God comes to you. Uh, the opposite of not thinking about it is not thinking about it. Well, no, the opposite of thinking about it is not thinking about it. And it's so easy to do that. We forget, all right? And let me tell you something. It doesn't take much courage or to do anything to ignore God's nudging. <laughs> you say, ah, it just happened. Oh, well. And, we've, and, and it's easy to do. But to ponder, think about, journaling, writing, thinking, that takes a lot of courage. You know, when I was in uh, Pennsylvania doing ministry, a young man in his 30s, just started coming back to church. You know, it's a, it's a home, uh, kind of like a home church, and everybody knew each other. I'm a new pastor, and they were surprised that this guy's coming back because they knew his history. And then, uh, so I, you know, had lunch with him, talked about, you know, so you're coming back to church, what's going on? And he said that he was newly, he was newly married, and uh, he had two little boys. And at that time, he was living in Maryland, and... Um, and uh, he, had a, he owned a gas station and a store, which caused him to work like ungodly hours. So one of the evenings when he was uh, closed the shop and he was going home, he was so tired. And uh, he was driving and then, you know, falling asleep. Uh, he just veered off to the side and, you know, almost fell in the ditch. But, but when he woke up, there was a tree standing in front, <laughs> right in front of him. And what do you do? You just slam on the brake and luckily... The car just stopped inches before he hit the tree. And he told me, I mean, I still remember just the, the passion that, that he had. He's, he said he gripped, like, talk about white knuckling. He, his knuckles were like glued and seared to the steering wheel. And he seemed like, he said, it seemed like he was there for hours. But his life flashed before his eyes. And, and he knew that God was calling him and just saying, you know, Take stock of your life. And, uh, you know, maybe you hear these kinds of stories. Maybe it happened to you. I don't know. But, but this guy, he was impressive because what did he do? Well, he actually did something. He took the courage to sell his business, move back home in PA, find another career, had a less, you know, sp- uh, less money, but he got to spend time with his family and even now, currently serving faithfully in the church. And, and he really did something about that. And that's courageous, folks. 
God does this all the time, by the way. Boy, I, I know God is speaking to you in some way. Visions, dreams, I don't know. Circumstances, those annoying coworkers. I don't know, but God's saying something. Are we listening? Do we See, it's easy to just dismiss these things, but it's hard to think about it. All right? It's hard to think about it and wonder, what is God saying? All right, so let me continue. It took... Mary showed a lot of courage in the way she responded, all right? When, pardon me, in the way she reasoned. So God caught her attention. She reasoned it. Secondly, Mary showed a lot of courage in the way she doubted. Yes, even in the way she doubted. Let me show you this. I want you to note that Mary is not doubting the presence of Gabriel coming to her. I try to establish the fact when supernatural and angel and when these things happen, it's not a big deal, all right? That's not what freaks her out. But what, well, what she took note was the message that was delivered by Gabriel. And, and the message that you know, which is the annunciation, which is a fancy speak of, uh, to say it's an announcement. God sends an angel, the highest form of angel, to give an important announcement and give a deliver, deliver an important message to Mary, when she heard that message, it troubled her, and she doubted, right? So uh, what was the message? <laughs> I mean, think about this. And put yourself in her situation. You know, you receive a message that you're going to be, you're going to conceive a son, not by natural means, but through the power of her spirit, and you're going to call him Jesus. And Matthew tells us that name, Jesus, which was a very common name in Palestine, that name, Jesus, specifically means he will save his people from, his, from their sins, all right? So again, we, we see this story. You probably heard this calling many times and how uh, uh, the Annunciation, how Mary received the announcement. But we kind of gloss over it, and we skip to verse 38. And verse 38 says, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. May your word, be, may your word to me be fulfilled. Which, in the end, she accepted it. But, but we need to slow down. We're only in verse 34. There's a lot happening in between. So it's not, not too fast. It's not like, oh, uh, tell me what I need to do, God. That doesn't make sense, but I'll do it. It doesn't, faith doesn't work like that. I hope you understand this. What did she do? She expressed her doubt. In fact, this is what she said in verse 34, before we get to verse 38. Verse 34, Mary says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When, 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 when you know, fantastic things are spoken over you and you, you have no idea how that's going to be, or it just sounds so ridiculous or irrational. You've got to have doubt. <laughs> this is what all rational people should ask. If you were Mary, you need to ask the same question. How do I have a child without, you know, without a relation, right? How does that happen? <laughs> you know, I'm sure Mary believed that God can do anything because she is a student of uh, the stories in the, in the Old Testament, which was her faith. She knew there were women in the Bible whose wombs were barren, right? You have Sarah. At 90, she became 
a mob. So you know, she knows that God can do things. And then, and then, if you look at the genealogy, there's there's Rebecca, whose husband was Isaac. She was also barren. And then you see Rachel, uh, whom Jacob loved a lot, and she was also barren, right? And you fast forward, and you see a woman named Hannah. She was barren, but then God opened her room her room and Samuel came out and he became the ultimate prophet. And even her cousin Elizabeth, she was barren and she was of age. And, 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 and yeah, she understands God can do things, but here's the thing. They all had husbands. <laughs> Mary, she was engaged, which is a whole different message, but that doesn't mean she's married yet, okay? The marriage has not consummated. And, and, and if she were to have a baby at that point without uh, having the formal wedding ceremony, of course there'll be rumors of, of having a child out of wedlock. And in the first century, especially in a small little town called Nazareth, when, when, when there's gossip, when, when uh, stuff happens, everybody knows, and it will bring shame on you and your family. And that engagement is done. If the baby comes now after the marriage, you know, that makes sense. And Mary would say, okay, you know, I get it. Uh, me and Joseph, you know, we're going to get married, and, and the baby that's going to come out is going to be God, right? She'll get that. But the message is very clear. Verse 34, you know, she's doubting because she heard very clearly that it's not, going to be ha- it's not going to happen after marriage. It's going to happen before the marriage. You get that? See, there are two huge issues that Mary had to, she's doubted because she's rational. The gospel is very rational, all right? A lot of unbelievable things. So, so there's doubt. And this is what Mary did. The, First doubt was that, I mean, well, she had serious doubt about biology. She didn't, she didn't have biology class. She didn't go to, you know, uh, a school they teach sex education now. But she didn't, have, she didn't even go to school, you know what I mean? She knew nothing about biology. And, but she knew that you just don't make babies like that. Even more, a bigger issue was the cultural consequence. Oh, my goodness. What if that happens? thinking that there is no way. But what if that happens? How am I going to show my face in Nazareth? So it's a bad situation for Mary. It's it's horrible. And in fact, what she was fearing that Gabriel's visitation does turn out not really friendly for her at all. And in fact, Gary, uh, I'm sorry, Gary, Gary, Gabriel's, uh, what's her name, Gabriel? (laughs) The proposed the proposal the proposal that 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 he's giving to Mary this ridiculous pregnancy and 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 a guaranteed isolation, you know, um, is it, not a good thing for her at all. Um, I did say doubting is good. All right. So if you if you're in Mary's situation, you hear this. Um, and she doubted. And I'm saying the fact that she doubted was very courageous. So how can doubting, some of you may still have doubts about faith. Some of you may even, I mean, how do you believe a dead man rises from the dead, right? The, the gospel teaches us, tells us to believe a lot of fantastic things. How do, you just, how do you just receive it? A lot of people still have doubts. But my whole point is that when you doubt, it's courageous. Why? There's two things. There is a 
honest doubting, which Mary did, and there is dishonest doubting. And this is what I mean. Dishonest doubt doesn't take any courage. You hear, oh, I got to be pregnant without, without, a, without uh, having intercourse, or Jesus rises from the dead, or the water turns to wine. You know, you hear all these fantastic, miraculous things that the gospel teaches. Uh, the dishonest way to doubt is, uh, doesn't take any courage. You say, you know, just take the easy way out. Uh, you say, that's a crazy idea. It, it's impossible. <laughs> you just can't believe this. So, so a dishonest doubting, you just kind of dismiss whatever is presented to you. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. And, and you, know, you know, you doubt, but you don't do anything with it. You just kind of dismiss it and you let it go. Uh, you hear that, uh, you know, if, uh, that, that you're going to be the object of shame and scorn in your town. This honest Mary would say, no, thank you. <laughs> I need my social life. <laughs> I don't want to be alone. And, you know, I, is, so that is an easy way to dismiss what Gabriel uh, proposed to her, those two propositions, right? And that's an easy way to do it, and we wouldn't have the rest of the story. But Mary was very courageous because she actually uh, had honest doubt. And this is what we see. Honest doubt takes courage. Why? Because it takes a lot of courage to think about this. To consider hmm, what you once thought was impossible, honest doubt opens up a plausibility of a possibility that it could happen. Does that make sense? And and it takes a lot of courage to believe that. When you doubt, honest doubting, it forces you to ask real questions. And when you start asking real questions about something that seems impossible, you know what it does? It makes you vulnerable. And here's why. Because honest doubting asks questions for information, and here's the thing, that will leave you open to the possibility of an answer that you might be satisfied with. And if you're satisfied with that kind of belief, then it will shift your view. It may even change your mind. So you end up believing impossible things. And that's scary sometimes, a lot of times, actually. So as a result, like Mary, when honest doubt happens, it leads you to open, to be open to what? To new thoughts to new ideas, and maybe to new beliefs. Wow. Honest doubting gives you information. <laughs> it gives you arguments and maybe sound, plausible arguments to shape a new belief, which we call faith. From your old way of understanding things, of God, of angels, of the supernatural, of afterlife, you could actually shift that and make you believe that it exists. And that takes courage. You know why? Because you could be wrong. <laughs> what you thought was sealed tight, a belief, could be wrong. Are you, can you withstand that kind of pressure? The fact that you've been told all your life that Jesus, God, is, is not real, heaven is not real, you know, uh, heaven and hell, there is no such thing. This is all that exists, and you grew up with that. Can you open your mind to realize there could be another uh, 
worldview. And if that is, then what you've lived for all your life could be wrong. That takes courage. And this is what Mary did. She opened up. I didn't say that she totally believed, but she opened up. And her doubt was met with this. First, again, Mary showed courage in the way she thought about it, reason. Then she showed courage by doubting, honestly. An answer came. And look what happened. Number three, Mary showed courage in her surrender. It does come. When you open up the possibility that God's ways is true, and there is a resurrection, there is an immaculate conception, there is all these things that boggles the mind, we surrender to God and his ways. And this is what we see with Mary. You see, again, doubting leads to honest questions. And for Mary and for you, if you go that way, it will result in an argument that is not, you know, flippant or a fairy tale, but it is a rational, plausible argument. And if you get it, it's going to change your understanding. So Gabriel's proposition wasn't ridiculous after all. She got it. The answer to biology. <laughs> How am I going to have a baby when I'm still a virgin? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit is going to come over you and cause this birth. She knows that God can do everything, bring dead womb to life. And she doesn't really know exactly the meticulous details of that, how that works, but she got it. And she accepted it. The answer to being part of this cancel culture, and she's going to be a laughingstock in Nazareth, uh, Gabriel says, go out and hang out with your relative Elizabeth. That was enough for her. <laughs> and we're going to see her doing that later on. She surrendered, but it took process. Then she then comes to the conclusion, and she says, nothing is impossible with God. Right? Isn't that amazing? And that's why you get verse 38. How can this be since I'm, you know, uh, uh, no, that's not the word. Verse 38, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, and let it be to me according to your word. Wow. This is not blind faith. You got to understand. Mary just didn't like a, a, you know, teenage girl. Okay, whatever. No, she thought about it. She did do, she, she's gone through this process. She did the hard intellectual work to believe. And as a result, she surrendered. That's how we get faith. She surrendered to the gospel. And let me tell you, for Mary and for those that you, who are really seeking the truth of the gospel, if you go through this process and you surrender, it takes courage. It takes courage to step out in faith. And there is no assurance given. There, is no, there's no, there are no angels saying welcome and there's a party for you. You don't have that evidence. You get it. And so what she did in her heart was to make a professional, personal profession of faith to God. And here she, in verse 38, she received the gospel in her heart. What Mary accepted was a gospel that initially did not seem good, seem rational, seem far-fetched. And, and, and some of you are sitting here, you don't get the gospel. Maybe you have, but you haven't really done the work. And it still seems far-fetched. 
It still seemed like a fair tale, but you get it because, you know, you want to bet on the right side. You say this, you know, maybe if it is at least, you know, uh, I bet on the right side, right? But that's not good enough. You got to have courage to believe in what, everything that God says. And a lot of them in the beginning doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem good. But with much thought, with much spiritual insight, wrestling with not only the message, but what is going on in your heart, what you find, just like Mary, and what you find for those of us who really did the work, you realize it's the best offer ever given by God to us. In this case, through the message of Gabriel, and for you, through uh, how you receive the gospel, you are so thankful that this message got into your heart. You get it. Listen, what Gabriel was offering to Mary is typically how God comes and offers himself to the world. In the way that Gabriel, well, God sent Gabriel to give this difficult message to Mary, it's the way he gets us too. It's, it's, gospel's free and it's easy in a way, all you have to say, I accept it. But to really get it, it's a whole different world. It's, it's hard. So here, here it is. This is, how, this is what God does. God planned that the Son of God, Jesus, would come into, the, into this world through a pregnant, unwed teenager, a girl in a, in a cult. Now, if it came today, it's a different story, right? But, but, but this came in a patriarchal society that is all about shame and honor culture. God decided to choose that first century to do it. Why? Because it was not about Mary. It was for God's purpose. Why? So that God could show us and to the world that this child, in fact, uh, Gabriel says that, that this child will be holy. You know what holy means? Holy is not putting a halo over you. Holy means to set you apart from any other, ma- uh, to, to set you apart. So in this case, for Mary, it could be anyone, but God chose Mary. For her to be pregnant, she would come into this world. I mean, the, the, the baby would come into this world in the, in, the most, in the most different, is that a word? <laughs> a different way. <laughs> Unlike any other way that people come into this world. You and I are not holy because we all come from an egg and a sperm. Amen? Amen. There's only one person that ever lived that is holy, that in other words, that's different, and that is Jesus himself. That's why he did it in that culture, because Jewish theology teaches that original sin comes seminally through the man. And so guess what God did? He took the man out of the equation. That's deep theology. Think about that. That's why it's there. Hard to believe, but God had a reason. Here's another thing. God's son, who's going to be the prince, ultimately be king, that God chose and he made it such a way that he would not be born in a royal palace, rather that he will be born through a, uh, into a stable in a feeding trough, that the king of the universe will come into this world not through famous parents, but through, not even through typical parents in the first century, but to the lowliest and lowliest of parents, namely Mary and Joseph. Why? Gosh, we all want to be rich and famous. There's a song that says, I want to be a 
millionaire, no, a billionaire. <laughs> oh, and the song is passionate. I want to be a billionaire, so do we. But God said, no, you're not going to have any money. <laughs> and the king of the universe is going to come in such poverty. Why? So that, and here's the theology behind that, so that the rich and the poor, because in the first century, the gap between the wealthy and the poor, it was huge. And the reason why God chose the poor rather than the rich is to show that both the rich and the poor and the few that are in between can have equal access to salvation. Because prior, being rich, um, you're favored by God. That was the theology. But God shows that being rich does not guarantee salvation. That was huge. And God is showing that being poor does not exclude you from salvation. You get that? This is what Jesus, is, God was teaching us. And he's teaching us that these extremes are not the way to get to God, but there's another standard. It's called grace. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. One more. God is showing that the pattern to win this world uh, so that people can know that, that God has saved the world through Jesus Christ is through Weakness is through suffering, is through death on the cross, not through military might, not through partisan politics or legislation, not through power, but through weakness. Oh, <laughs> why? Because Jesus is trying to, God is trying to teach us that to get to glory is through suffering. I honestly. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. You and I don't like suffering. I'm allergic to suffering, by the way. How many of you are allergic to suffering? Well, I wasn't going to end, but God says, too bad. It is through suffering where I'm going to be sanctified, and I'm going to see the glory of God. It is through the cross that there's a resurrection. I don't get it. I'll still never understand it. I really, uh, I shouldn't say this too much, but there's a part of me that I wish I could preach um, health, wealth, prosperity so that everybody would be happy. But that's not true. It, this is the real gospel. This is the real prosperity. You go through suffering, and no one is exempt through that, even the Son of God. That's what he's trying to teach us. So do you have courage to surrender to, to surrender to that kind of gospel is that's a whole different issue now. This is the gospel that Mary decided to take on. And let me finish with this: that Mary not only thought about it, right? Uh, not only doubted, and she got a different answer, but she, when she got it, she may not have liked it, but she surrendered. And finally. Uh, Mary showed a lot of courage by finding her community. Let me just say one thing about this. If you got this, if you, you know, I hear people say, I became a Christian, I'll sit in my, off, in my room because they're introverts. We have a lot of introverts. And I read from Genesis to Revelation, and I believe. I, I really did hear several stories like that. I'm like, wow. <laughs> but that's not good enough. I don't know how you became a Christian, but you can't, even if you're extreme introverted or you don't like people, whatever it is, here's the thing. You need to be in community. 
Because only in the community of like-minded believers can you take what you, what God has taught you, what you have felt, the, the, the doubts that you have, only in community can you get a resolve where you get it. Mary just got confronted by Gabriel, this incredible news, and through the process, she got it. But how is she going to act it out and live it out so that it will continue to be with her for the rest of her life? She needed a community to affirm that in her. And who is her community? Elizabeth. Angel said, go to Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. And guess how long? And, and so, Liz, so Mary left Nazareth, hung out with her for three months. What do you think they did? You know, Zechariah was there. He's finally talking, you know, and, and uh, the community was there. And they loved on Mary. And they helped her with her questions. And, 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 and they built her up. That was the process. That is the process of receiving the real gospel. So that when things happen, when the pastors go wild and do dumb things, and when leadership start to do dumb things, you don't have to leave the church because Jesus is God's church. You know what I mean? You don't have to be one of the nuns who check none, I'm done with church. You don't have to do that. If you have this kind of gospel, you're going to stick it through. So what can we say? All right. Ooh. What can we say? Let's be like Mary, she teaches us to ponder. There's a lot of things she's done, but, but think about these things, church. You know, uh, chapter 2, verse 51, when uh, the family goes to Jerusalem uh, for their annual feast, they come back. Just like home alone, they left Jesus alone. Where was he? Ah! And they go back, and of course, Jesus was at the temple, learning and doing all these kind of things at the age of 12. And chapter 2, verse 51, I love this verse. And, and only Dr. Luke could tell us this. He tell, tells us that Mary, his mother, treasured, pondered, thought about, processed all these things in her heart. And Mary was um, interviewed by Dr. Luke towards the end of her life. And so all throughout her life, when she was 12 to 14 years old, all the way to however, she, however old she was before she died, she used her mind. She processed this over and over again such that she believed. Anyway, guys, there's a lot of things we could say, but in terms of Advent, we're gonna, we begin with Mary. American teaches profound things. If you know the gospel, have you thought about it? Do you, do you know that even if the world falls and just the rugs you know, come off your feet and, and, and your whole life crumbles, do you know you can still stand because God is still sovereign and he still does love you? Can you stand on that? Or if you feel, realize you've, you've said this is all a hoax, then that means you haven't really thought about it. You haven't really grasped. You haven't really doubted correctly. So during this Advent season, oh man, we're going to tell you more about angels and, and uh, you know, all these fantastic uh, supernatural things. And you say, okay, is that what the story is? It's more than that. It is the gospel. Have you received that gospel? In this Advent season, let's think about it. Let's, let's, let's push that God's truth deep into our heart and let our community come and help us digest this so that we can live it out, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and help us set up. And we're going to have a time of communion. One of the things that we're going to do during the season of Advent, beginning today and for the other three successive Sundays, is that we're going to have communion. 
Want to uh, take uh, the Lord's Supper together as a church and community? And we want to say, we want to process this. And in fact, what you see before us, and we do this once a month, and we just kind of do it in a religious sense, but doesn't have to be religious. What we're taking is deep in theology and knowledge. And there's reasons why God told Jesus to tell us, do this as often as you can and do it until he comes back. Has he come back yet? No. So we got to keep doing it. Why? Go figure it out. I can tell you why, but, but go figure it out. Ponder upon it. Take these elements and wonder why I have to eat this every time. And, and during these few weeks, we're going to get to do that. We get to do this every week because there's, there's gospel in there. There's gospel there for you. And maybe as you're taking it, you get it. Maybe a light bulb will shine. You say, I get it. Maybe the questions that you've had and wondering why these things had to happen, you finally get it. This is what it's all about. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the usher, uh, communion ushers to come up and help me set up here. As I uh, pray, let's, let's uh, prepare our hearts. Father, I thank you that we can uh, hear the Advent message. I thank you for your servant Mary, whom the history has called her blessed, not because she's special in any way, but because she had the courage to believe. She had the courage to receive the gospel before it was explicated in tangible ways that we can try to understand. But she got it. Maybe she didn't get all of it, but she received it. I pray that we, especially in our church, those who follow Jesus, that we get it. And I pray for those who are seeking you, that they will get the gospel too, that it will go deep into their hearts, that they would understand why they do what they do. I pray, Father, that you bless the communion time here. Pray that you would bless our time as we take communion. And may you make this communion holy. May this time be separate, set apart for your people to know you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.